Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio. I'm Linda Crater, and I am here with my co-host today, Jason McNamara, and our wonderful guest, John Phillips. Welcome to Military Network Radio, John. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. We are delighted that you're with us today. I know that um, it has been a busy time. We have talked for a while, John and I, about the difficulties of transitioning from active duty to call it the community, and that it's a really long process. It appears to be so simple. You get out, you change, as he puts it, boots to loafers, and you just move on your way. I think after 14 years of war, we are very well aware that it takes a lot more than that. And there are many, many veterans who are coming out of the service, not knowing exactly what to do, or perhaps thinking that they do know what to do, only to find out that the world is, is very different, very changed. There's a translation issue. There are some very practical matters to deal with. And that exiting the military and entering civilian life is very, very different. John is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Army, and he has written a book called Boots to Loafers, sort of a self-explanatory. I like the subtitle as well, though, Finding Your New True North, because it addresses what a military member must do to effectively move to the private sector. There's ineffective transition, and then there is more effective, smoother transition. And John has made that transition himself very effectively, and we are really eager to talk with him. John is a 16-year civilian worker with uh, one of the biggest companies. You might have heard of them, uh, Coca-Cola in Atlanta. And we have a chance today to talk to him about his book, about his transition, his own experiences, and motivation to help others in terms of transition. John, with that introduction, maybe you should just talk about first what motivated you to write Boots to Loafers. Well, it's uh, really, when I retired and moved into the private sector, um, you know, I went through the traditional, back in those days it was called ACAP, but it Mm -hmm. was the transition course that uh, was one week. Uh, that every service member in the Army had to take when they were going to transition out. And basically, when I went through it, it was really not earmarked for uh, senior officers or or officers, in my opinion. Uh, And I really just wanted to get my clearing papers stamped so I could move on. Right. Uh, And, you know, fast forward from that point to about my fifth year at uh, Coca-Cola and... I had just gone through really the school of hard knocks and learning my way around a major corporation, uh, understanding the culture, understanding communication styles, how do you walk, how do you talk, how do you dress, how do you do everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I kept notes on the side and uh, just lessons learned from uh, what what was it I was experiencing and observing, and 
so really the motivation is is I wanted to help those that, that were coming behind me, the you know, pay it forward type of thing. Uh, because I didn't never I never had that benefit. I didn't have a coach or a mentor or a teacher. I just kind of figured it out. You know, I'm intrigued by your comment that you took notes as you went through. Were you aware right from the very beginning that there wasn't really a smooth process to exit in the way that there was a fairly smooth way to enter the military, being boot camp and that process? Did you know right away that that things were going to be different and that's why oh, yeah. you took notes? I mean, when you I... Did? Yeah. When I got into the corporate world, I mean, mm-hmm. what I found out very quickly is, is the people that were the instructors, for for lack of a better term, for the ACAP program, mm-hmm. they had never transitioned themselves. So what the heck are they telling me? Oh, boy. They had no clue. And, right. And uh, I think that's one of, the, one of the real value propositions that I bring is I've got what I call muddy boots time. I was a field artillery officer. I literally have muddy boots time, Mm -hmm. uh, being out in the boonies and walking the gun line and all that. And then I've got time in my loafers, uh, in a suit working at the Coca-Cola company. So I kind of bring some value on both sides and credibility that a lot of these instructors that teach these, uh, soldier for life, Marine for life, Mm -hmm. ACAP or whatever you want to call it. Right. They don't have. So how did Coca-Cola receive your suggestions, recommendations, or even your writing the book? You know, I, I when I had the manuscript done, I passed it through Coke Legal, and they, they waved it through because I wasn't Smart. even sure I could mention I worked at Coke. Mm-hmm. But apparently that's, that's not an issue. Um, and, uh, you know, they know I have the book. Right. Um, I don't think they know the, to the extent that it's impacting those in the military and our veterans that, that have the book and how, how it is growing at this point. Um, I wish, you know, maybe at some point they'll figure that out, but it's not. I try and keep a separation between what I do with Boots Loafers and what I do in my day job. Well, that makes good uh, sense, but I, I think that really letting- kind of keep it, keep a line drawn between the two of them. Um, they, but I bet so it has helped them in hiring new people. If Wouldn't they elect, you agree? If they want to do something with it, that's you know they know where I'm at. I'm around every day. There you go. Um, I imagine though you greatly help those transitioning, especially into Coca-Cola, but elsewhere. And I'm sure you hear from people. Oh, I hear I hear from people uh, every day through social media, through LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, Facebook. I mean, it's pretty incredible how many uh, contacts I get on a daily basis. Majority of them are, are military, active military, and veterans that just they just want advice because mm-hmm. they're not getting any guidance. Um, and it's even after going through their uh, Soldier for Life program, Marine for Life programs, and things like that, they still are a bit lost because they just don't know how to get started. So it's the ones that are getting started, because I think we all know the stats on military employment, that sometimes it's not as difficult to get a job, but it is quite difficult to keep a job. So are these folks that are calling you and asking for guidance, are they people who have found jobs, or are they people who are maybe found a job, it didn't work out, and, and they want to do it better the second time? Where do they fit on the continuum? I think uh, you know most of them are looking. 
Mm-hmm. And there's there's a high level of frustration, to be honest, because, you know, the uh, the standard reply from HR when you apply for a job is there's no reply. It's it's like right. radio silence. Yes. And to me, I mean, a, a personal thing is I think that's pretty tacky. Look, mm-hmm. if I'm not qualified, and you don't want me. Tell me and I'll mm-hmm. move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for to hear nothing. Uh, it keeps you guessing. It's like, well, did they even receive my resume? Did they? Is there any feedback? I mean, give me some feedback so I can improve on what I'm trying to do to make this transition and move back into society and get a job. Uh, and it's it, to me, it's just the proper thing to do. Um, but it's uh, most of the people that contact me, they have, they just have a very high level of frustration because they've never been exposed to this before. They've also been in an environment where they've been told they're they're you know they're really good at what they do. They're very innovative in what they do. Mm-hmm. They've got strong leadership skills. They've been told that they're the best of the best. Um, I had a, a colonel in the army contact me one time. And he said, you know, I'm getting ready to retire. I got two kids in college. I've been told for 30 years that I am the LeBron James of (laughs) aviation. Right. And he goes, and guess what? Nobody's calling me up to offer me a job, and I don't know what to do. Do you think that the mental shift that has to be done by the person departing the military, separating out, is the hardest part for them to understand before they get into the nuts and bolts, or is it the other way around? I think the longer, my kind of philosophy is, or belief, is the longer that you have served, mm-hmm. career officer, career non-commissioned officers, and warrants, the more difficult it is for you to make the transition. Mm-hmm. And and I say that because you, I mean, you are a uh, a military person, from front to rear. I mean, that's right. just who you are. Mm-hmm. So as I've, I've spelled this out in the book, take all of those awards and decorations that you're wearing on your left breast pocket mm-hmm. and put them in a nice little shadow box and stick it on your I love me wall and let it sit there. Mm-hmm. And it's no disrespect to them that I say that because mm-hmm. that's exactly oh, no. what I've done. Right. And you just set that aside. You will get back to that at some point. The mission at hand is to find a job, and it's a hard process to do that. It is tough work to do that. It's not easy. But at some point in your next career, your life outside the gate, uh, you will get back to those many, many things that you did while you were wearing your uniform, not only in the primary job that you had when you ran, but all of those secondary, hey, you jobs that you had. They will come back at some point in your second career and pay big dividends because you'll run into things that you've done before. That's absolutely true. We have about a minute until our first break. I was wondering if you could name the key components of the book. And then after our break, we will go into further detail on them because I know you have this broken into three phases. Yeah, the three components are transition, basically how you transition out, transformation or rebranding yourself, and then integration, which is integrating yourself back into society and then ultimately finding a job. So which is the hardest in your opinion, just off the cuff? Um, 
Well, it's, it's kind of a, I would say it's a blend of the transition and transformation. Okay, so if you can get through one and two, you will find step three to be a little bit smoother. Would that be stating it correctly? Yeah, you'll learn the integration piece, which is a lot of benefit information. You'll learn that's teachable. It's so interesting because some of these things are easily teachable and some are more difficult. We'll discuss them more after the break. You're listening to Military Network Radio. I'm Linda Crater with our guest, John Phillips, this morning, and we will be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success, more stability, more happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smart strategies and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We, Before the break, we were talking about the three phases of transition, transformation, and integration. Jason, I know you had a question about the transformation to ask John. Yeah, yeah, John, you know, I think uh, the interesting part about how you've broken down the phases is that that's sort of what we see in our organization at squadleaders.org. And um, I want to go into a little more detail about those those different uh, phases. So if we can start off with the transition piece, what do you think is the biggest sort of aha moment or some of the lessons learned that you've experienced through that first phase? I would say uh, there's two, two key points. And, you know, when I, when I look at this, uh, I, I look at the, the, each of these three phases in concentric circles that kind of overlap each other. So if you look at the transition, there's really two two key things that you've got to work on as far as the transition, it actually bleeds over to the transformation, is the cultural differences between the military and, and corporate world, and also the way you communicate. Now, you you being a Marine, you understand <laughs> when, when a Marine tells you to do something, you best be doing it. Yes, sir. And see, there you go. Yeah, but see, Jason, uh, he said before the program, just so you know, that since you're a Marine, he's going to speak more slowly for you today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I'll take yeah. that. Yeah. They call that kindersprechen, child speak. Oh, dear. No, I'm, I'll be nice to you. Some of my best friends are Marines, so. <laughs> um, but it's uh, transformation really is, you know, rebranding yourself. Uh, the analogy I use is, you know, when you go in and you are uh, going to sit down with an HR professional, you can't come in and you can't sit down and act like a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal, uh, you know, grunt, because I'll guarantee you won't get the job. You've got to transform who you were, a Marine or a infantry person, officer, NCO, enlisted, it doesn't matter, a soldier, 
to you're now moving into a different world, a corporate setting, and you've got to act differently. You got to walk differently. You got to talk differently. You got to look different. The whole package. You got to transform yourself and rebrand yourself. It doesn't mean that you're going to completely change who you are. I can tell you, I got my hot buttons. And I've had this happen a number of times at Coca-Cola where somebody will hit that hot button and the kernel comes out pretty quick. <laughs> and I got to put him back in the bag. And uh, I, it's caught a couple of my peers off guard and they're like, whoa, where'd that come from? And I'm like, hey, sorry, just had a little, you know, kind of went back to who I was. Um, and that's going to happen. But uh, you just got to learn how to deal with that. So if we could talk on that for a second. So let's just say that I'm transitioning out of the Marine Corps and I have to rebrand myself. What are some things that I should be thinking about when I'm trying to come up with an image of who I need to be on this transitioning world? You know, we, I've just spent four and a half years focusing on important things like making sure my shoes were polished and making sure that I was up to speed on my physical fitness tests. And now you're telling me that it's no longer applicable here. So how do I deal with that as a person? I would say you, you, you do what you were trained to do. One of the things that every single soldier, sailor, airman, and Marine is trained to do is understand situational awareness mm -hmm. and also observe people. You, if you know what type of industry you want to get into, then part of your homework and your transition phase that you're going through is do your homework. What do people wear in the industry you want to get into? How do they talk? How do they communicate with each other? And start doing your homework and your observation skills that you've been trained and start learning how you need to act. So, you know, your typical, um, and I'll pick on the Marines a little bit, your typical <laughs> Marine that has been in for four years, as soon as it, you can pick one out fairly quickly, A, haircut, B, everything's yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full. So you got to get past that and understand, you got to be able to have those conversations and uh, very rigid and everything. So lighten up a little bit and, and you got to observe people like you've been trained to do. You know, it, it's interesting because I, I think the understanding and observing part is very important. And you're right about the situational awareness piece. I think that that isn't stressed often enough. Because how do we learn as children? We learn by observing older children. We see what we don't like and we see what we do like. But I think that that is a very key piece of what people would think is very obvious but I don't hear it much spoken about among my friends and you know fellow um, transitioning folks when they go out and do that. So learning to talk and act is different. Walking, talking, all the clothing is different. What about the mental shift from knowing your job, knowing what to do, knowing what the next person does to an environment where it isn't quite so compartmentalized? where you may be asked to be on committees and things that are quite alien to the military culture, not the team structure, but I'm talking about some of the corporate speak that is a little bit different in the communication realm. 
<laughs> corporate speak. I love that because I, I, it drives me nuts. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. It drives I would, us uh, nuts too. But <laughs> oh yeah, you know, you go in a meeting and you're there for an hour, and you come out of the meeting and you're like, what, what just happened? Because right. they just talked for an hour and it right. meant nothing. And you have no next steps. Uh, no, then there's always a back door. So I, I'll climb up on a soapbox here if you let me. But I, I would uh, go right ahead. No, no. <laughs> um, now I'm trying to make sure this book helps those that are coming. You know, pay it forward and help those that are coming behind me. That that I'd never had that that help or anything. But um, it's the whole transformation piece is. Uh, I say, I actually say in the book that if you're a career officer NCO, you're going to go through the transition transformation probably for the rest of your life because it's just. Like me, it's who I am. I'm a soldier. I always will be. Um, and you just got to kind of be a bit of a chameleon mm-hmm. and, uh, and and just use those skills that you've been taught to to look around, see people at. There are certain things that you do, behavior that you can do in the military, that if you do those in a corporate setting, they'll get you fired. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Jason probably knows what I'm talking about. There are some things you do Absolutely. that you just, you know, you, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep, exactly, exactly. So you just got to be careful. So as people are looking to go out, I think we keep hearing, too, that networking is not something that the military is that used to doing. I mean, certainly you transition, you move, you PCS, you meet new people, you work with new teams. So it's not that networking is alien to a military person, but can you describe, in your opinion, how important and how uniquely different networking is on the civilian side for employment? Well, I'm a, I'm a networking freak. I mean, I net, I'm networking right now. But I, uh, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I mean, I network 24 7. I just, uh, I love to talk to people, I love to meet new people and expand my horizons as far as, you know, who I know, because you never, the one thing that you have to always remember is you never know where your next opportunity is going to come from. Right. So, and the other part of it is you're never going to have a second chance to make a first impression. And that, that, uh, it's kind of beaten, beaten into the ground a bit, but it's very true. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, Networking is one of those things that as soon as you can start doing that, once you've made the decision that you're going to transition and you're going to leave the military, you need to really crank up social media and expanding your horizons just because, and I talk about this in the book a little bit, is just because you live off base or off post doesn't mean you understand civilians. You need to start meeting other people, look at the industry you want to get into, and start start doing your intel gathering on what you want to do when you shed your uniform and put on a suit, or not even a suit, just going to work in the, in the civilian world, what you're going to have to do um, in order to successfully make that transition. Otherwise, you're going to be miserable. It's I think true. one one other point real quick you had mentioned sure. uh, earlier about some of the challenges when you get into the corporate setting. One of the things that every military person is probably going to have to deal with is um, being able to say you don't know how to do something. Because I can tell you, when I was in the military, you didn't say that. 
you, you figured it out or you went to a friend or something like that because it just, uh, it was, a, you know, an excuse is a sound of weakness type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't want to admit that you didn't know how to do something. So um, that's one of the things I know in the setting where I'm in today, if I don't understand something, I, I feel perfectly safe to say, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Can you explain it some more to me? John, I want to talk about integration for a second because I think it's an important topic. Um, first, how do you define integration from a military transitioning perspective? I think it's just effectively moving back into civilian society. It's like I said, if you're a four-year person, there's one one thing. You've only been out of society for about four years. If you're a 20, 25, or 30-year veteran, uh, career officer, non-commissioned officer, it's a whole different animal. Especially if you've had key leadership positions, all of a sudden you've been a regimental commander, brigade commander, and now you know you're nothing. You're just a civilian. You got to kind of sure. get over that. But sure. the other part of the integration is all this wonderful world of benefits that you are never exposed to when you're in the military because you get one flavor fits all for health care. You get everybody knows what your compensation is. That is not the case in the civilian world. So there's a lot of those aspects you got to learn. Yeah, there's definitely a learning curve there, and I think we see that as uh, as folks start to transition back into their community. I want to talk about sort of sustainability in this integration phase. You know, if we look at the data, you know, folks that have transitioned out of the military, they're they're trying to transform who they are, and they're trying to go back to school. They're trying to become gainfully employed. The data for veterans is terrible. You know, 88% of all veterans that join higher education drop out of school in their first year, right? So how do you keep the integration going so that we don't have these sort of statistics? And how do we build a process or services around the veterans to support the integration? That's that's a statistic I did not know, and that's surprising that it's that high because what what I've noticed, because I'm working with universities now, is a lot of the, the young men and women that have gotten the new GI Bill, the post-9-11 the post GI Bill, thankfully are taking advantage of that and going to school. The other thing I've noticed is a lot of these campuses are standing up veterans' centers. Yes. And it's just like in the corporate world. You know, an, a, an organization that I helped sta- establish at Coca-Cola is the Veterans Business Resource Group, which we have about 5,000 members across North America right now, all veterans and non-veterans. But it's a support group type of thing. So I think veterans helping veterans certainly helps. Um the other thing is, is if you're going to go to school, I think fundamentally it's not easy and you've got to stay focused and dedicated to do that and understand what's the prize at the end of the tunnel. I think that's an interesting perspective. The prize at the end of the tunnel, it's something that we can lose sight of very easily, especially when given the ultimatum of having to support a family Oh yeah, and go to school and try to maybe go to work and do all these other pieces. You're only one person, right? Yeah. I think support groups are very important in this, and I think there's on-campus and off-campus type support groups out there, um, and potentially that's where you help them. That's perfect, and that's such a nice lead into our third session. So after the break, we will come back and discuss the effectiveness of peers. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. 
often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse. Involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We were talking about the difficulties and challenges of transition. And I think one thing that we'd like to bring up is that someone transitioning from the military is often not alone. There is a family that goes along with that. And, John, I'd love your take on the importance of involving the family in transition and how that makes a more positive transition or not, and then go into some peer support. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's not, a, if you have a family, I mean, this is not a, a easy decision to make if you're going to leave the military, especially if you are leaving the military and you're not retiring from the military. Mm-hmm. It is a huge decision to make. And I think, um, and I talk about this in the book about communications um, with your spouse or your significant other or whatever, um, I'm a believer that you should be able to talk to your spouse about anything. Uh, and your your partners and what you're doing, and it's a joint decision in what you're doing, because th- you know the what this could involve is moving from one side of the country to the other side of the country, or going to a part of the country or the part of uh, potentially a part of the world that you don't necessarily want to go to, mm-hmm. but that's where the opportunity is. So yeah, I mean you need to have the whole conversation about this, and then you need to have that support group at home that will understand this is not an easy journey to take. Uh, it, it will get very frustrating and it will be, you will get frustrated. You will get um, 
just kind of feel worthless at some point. But you've got to uh, you you got to have something to fall back on, and that's your family. And the other thing I would tell you is, no matter what happens, the people that will always be there for you is your family, and never forget that. Especially once you do land a job, don't neglect them. Yeah, John. You know, I think you bring up a good point about the family mm-hmm. um, with the veterans that we interact with in our in our organization. Um, we hear a lot that they feel alienated from their family because they've just gone to war. They were with their brothers and sisters there. They went through some very unique experiences, and now mm-hmm. they're having a hard time relating to their family. So, you know, where does peer support come into that play, and how can veterans push each other to sort of get back and connect in with their family? Yeah, I think there's a. Uh... I think it goes a little, this is a personal opinion, I think it goes beyond peer support because your peers are probably going through the same thing. I mean, you can you can talk to your peers and your buddies and all that and work your way through a lot of this, but I think there's a lot of different avenues that you potentially could take to help with that. I mean, there's, uh, you know, the fact that you've been deployed for a year, you come home, uh, mom or dad have been taking care of the family while you've been gone and all of a sudden you come back and you're do this, do that. And they're like, wait a minute, we have a routine type of thing. (laughs) So, you know, you're going to have immediate tension. I mean, it happens with me even today when I take off and go out West for one of my little, uh, rafting, uh, fly fishing adventures for a couple of weeks. And I come back and, uh, and, you know, I've been with the guys for a couple of weeks, so you know how that can get, and I've got to clean it up. <laughs> so you can admit, you know how it is after you've been gone for a year. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I, one of the things that is, is very, very important, though, it comes back to what you said earlier. It comes back to communication. This is a team effort. It was a team effort when you were deployed and the home front was being held down in may, maybe another a second career. But it, it is a team effort, which is a concept familiar to those in the service. But the family should not be left behind. I'm glad we're talking about that now. Absolutely not. Now, what kept you strong? going through all of this, John? Well, I mean, my, you know, my faith, uh, is kept me going through a lot of this. I can tell you, I've had my own ups and downs in writing this book. Right. Um, it, it's, I've had to stop and question, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it's just, you know, I, I, I just, there, there is a reason why I'm out doing this to help others, and it's, and it's uh, me to extend my hand to help those that are coming behind me is, to me, the natural thing to do, uh, and it's what I should be doing. Now, is there uncertainty in that journey? Absolutely, but as I state in the book, um, right up front is, you know, go ahead and take that step um, because there are people me, I'm out there, you, and what mm-hmm. you're doing is right. out there to lend a helping hand. Well, you know, the other thing that I think is so very important that I have found with the peer support that I do with families and caregivers specifically is that John Maxwell, the leadership expert from your neck of the woods, as we discussed earlier, talks about the best leaders are those who help others excel. So we help ourselves 
um, when we help others. And so by your giving back and helping, you're setting an example for the next veteran to help the next person and on and on. So we're building a bigger safety net. Same for family members who help others. Um, you also feel good about it. Um, there's something very, very satisfying about knowing that you've made a difference so someone doesn't have to make the same mistakes you did. I often laugh that I say I was put on this earth as a warning to others. Well, I, I hope that some of the things that I've been able to pass on and certainly the things that you're passing on will allow people to make different mistakes, not the same ones we made, because hopefully we've helped and mentored in some way. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I, it's, uh, you know, you get it, it, there's, it's difficult to match personal satisfaction of helping someone along that, that basically is, uh, at a standstill or they, they're, they're lost and they just, they, they don't know what to do when you kind of lend that hand. I mean, and it's not a uh, not like I'm looking for a reward or any, I don't want any reward. I don't need that. But it, mm-hmm. the satisfaction you get of helping someone along like that is uh, it, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it's satisfying and everything and not expecting anything in return. Right. Just, it's, a, it's a true blessing. And, and gratitude has a lot to do with the way we view how things are taken. And I'm going to transition us right now into social media because I think that it's so prevalent these days. And I think that there are very positive aspects of it. And there are some potentially negative aspects of it for our transitioning members. Perhaps you could speak to that and how it helps or hurts someone in finding new employment. I didn't understand the question there. Social media. Does it help or hurt? Uh, Are there challenges and are there things to avoid? What recommendations would you give? Well, you know, to me, I love social media. I'm kind of, I homestead on LinkedIn more than anything. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got a number of, I think I'm approaching 6,000 contacts on LinkedIn. And I actually have my own uh, Boots to Loafers LinkedIn group Mm -hmm. that, uh, um, I'd love for your listeners to come out and join. And what I do is, is we do a lot of topics out there and things. I'll find news clippings and announce those. Mm-hmm. The caution is you just got to be careful, especially if someone's got some funky Facebook out there or whatever other social media you have out there that's inappropriate mm-hmm. or you've done some selfie in a bar on Friday night. Uh, I, I try and clean all that stuff up as soon as possible because mm-hmm. HR folks are checking you out. Oh, there's space stalking for sure. That, no doubt about it. And uh, I have a general rule on LinkedIn in my group. If you have no contacts, I don't accept your invite. Mm-hmm. If you have an inappropriate picture um, and it's not professional, mm-hmm. I don't accept that either. If you don't have a picture, I don't, I don't accept Right. Um, so it's, and then I will actually send the person an email and tell them they need to clean up what they're doing and, uh, come back to me some other time. And I think it's one of those things that they just need the coaching and the teaching to do that. I mean, it's serious business when you're out trying to find a job, if they want to go about it and, and do these silly little things that they do, then they're going to, I hope they, that's why a shovel has a universal fit. 
Very, very well said. Um, in terms of cleaning up, I'm just curious, when you have sent emails to them or messages off LinkedIn, has the response been positive? Yes. Or, or do I've you actually, not hear from them? I've, I, well, a little bit of both, but I've actually had people respond and thank me because no one has given them feedback before. Right. So I'll give it to them, and I'll warn them right up front. I'm going to give you the, like I told you yesterday we were talking, I'll give you the good, the bad, and the ugly, but i give it to you in reverse order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's very true. I, I think social media can be very, very helpful for networking, and networking means that people are around their peers, those who are not in their normal circle. And oftentimes they tell you, especially on LinkedIn, the professional networking site, as opposed to the more social ones like Facebook or Twitter, it's very important to look at your peripheral contacts, not just your first ones, but look at other people's. And I think that's a lesson that people need to take into consideration. It can be time-consuming to truly go through and find the similarities and commonalities with people or where you'd like to uh, focus your interests. But it's well worth it, in my opinion, and most people come out feeling that they've at least learned a lot by reading other people's profiles, getting the responses like you're giving. And and that's very important because once you've got that job, perhaps you'll speak, we have about two minutes left, speak on how you keep that job and what's your recommendation for that sustained integration. Well, I think the other part about the uh, the LinkedIn site is really understanding how do you how do you develop or how do you set up your site so it's more professional mm-hmm. um, I actually seeked out a person that was a connection of mine that this is what she does for a living and I paid her to make sure my my LinkedIn site uh, for me not my group mm-hmm. was professionally done and, and it is, it's helped a lot that's good I, th- I think it definitely makes a I didn't big answer difference. your last question but That's okay. We have just one minute to the break, and I think I would really love to have you talk about how people get in touch with you, Um, any last words that you might have. And the book is called Boots to Loafers, Finding Your True New True North. We have 30 seconds. Uh, Well, my website, www.bootstoloafers.com. The book is available in paperback through Amazon. Uh, audiobook through ACX. It's all out on my website. You can even download a PDF version of the book um, where you can uh, you can't print it or email it, but you can highlight it and uh, I have it in Nook and Kindle as well. There we go. Thanks so much, John. We're Military Network Radio and we'll be right back after these short messages. This is Uncommon Sense for Leaders, a forum for exploring leadership from the intellect, the heart, and the spirit. Whether you're a leader now or aspire to be a leader in the future, you owe it to yourself to learn about the big ideas that have shaped the careers of compelling communicators, masters of influence, and highly effective leaders. Uncommon Sense for Leaders. Tune in to hear thought-provoking ideas on every aspect of leadership. You can expect dynamic discussions with special guests, quick tips you can apply immediately for better results, and the tools you need to take you from where you are to where you want to be as a leader. 
you're ready to crack the code for achieving unprecedented results? Then join the host for Uncommon Sense for Leaders, Catherine Carlisi, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the All Business Radio Network. This is TogiNet, cutting-edge radio. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, and we are talking with John Phillips of Boots to Loafers, Finding Your New True North. On the break, John and I were talking about student veterans of America, so that when kids go back to school, kids, when the military (laughs) members go back to school and are learning, that there are some peer support resources right at the uh, college or university themselves, most are there. And he was talking about, and John, if you can go into this a little bit, you had a dialogue with the organization itself because I think you pointed out some things that they maybe hadn't considered before. Yeah, I, uh, what I really wanted to do is offer, you know, let them know about the book and the availability of the book and how it can help uh, the student veterans that are out there. It, it, I mean, because it comes in a variety of... Uh, delivery mechanisms. I mean, there's the hardback uh, or the paperback book, the audio book, so you can listen to it while you're walking around campus or whatever. Um, And it's all available out there. I think the other unique thing about this book is it's not necessarily for those that are transitioning out of the military. If you think about it, any student that is a junior or any first-year grad student could take this book and use this book to help them with their transition out of school. Very good point. And it would help it would help them with their journey. Now, I know there are a number of uh, resources available at, at universities that help with this when they when they're graduating and moving on into the private sector, or moving in to get a job. Um, and I've had conversations with a couple of uh, of these departments at universities, and they love the book, and they agree 100% that there's this can be used by any student because they all have to develop a resume. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, one was wearing a uniform and one was not. You know, we, we have not touched on one aspect of the transition that I know has been problematic with the families that I serve, and that has to do with suddenly – financially things are very very different and it's not as regular i mean the military is very regular it's it's very cut and dried um the money comes in the money goes out uh, the benefits are x and and you get y um but when you go into the private sector things could be different it could be the number of times a month that you're paid. It could be the benefit packages. It could be suddenly relocating, and sometimes that's covered and sometimes it's not when you're used to PCSing and it's covered. So could you speak, please, just briefly on Mm -hmm. some of the financial aspects that are suddenly new to a transitioning service member? I think uh, my first eye-opener was uh, when I started at at Coke, and I managed the payroll for expats, expatriates, people stationed overseas. Yep, okay. And I could not believe the, the, the different types of compensation that was available to people that were stationed overseas, especially when I spent more than half of my career overseas. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important 
when you are when the, when an individual gets to the point where they're getting a job offer to understand the full compensation package that is being offered to them that's base salary any type of bonus any type of like restricted stock stock options things like that and understand what that means and if you don't understand it ask the person that is that is presenting that information the flip side to that is all of the other benefits that are being presented to you from the company hopefully you'll learn those when you're doing your research on whatever company you're wanting to go work for what type of health care do they offer what other types of benefits do they offer? Do they have something as simple as like a employee stock buyback program? Mm-hmm. So you buy stock below the market price. Mm-hmm. All of that is long-term planning on the financial side. What type of 401k matching do they have? Is it 3%? What does that mean? Um, just different types of Uh, aspects of compensation and benefits that you were never exposed to in the military. Uh, The way you look at it, in the military, they put a piece of tin and a ribbon on your chest and tell you you've done a great job. In the corporate world, they give you a bonus, and it's based on your performance. So you have to perform in order to get rewarded on top of your salary. The same thing as you move up the chain in the corporate setting, you get more and more compensation. And if you can better understand that, the more you can provide for your family. You know, you're bringing up two things I'd love to ask you about. One is the performance-based aspects of uh, working in the civilian sector, the private sector. Um, If you're in the military, there is a certain truth, not not absolute, but a certain truth that if you're in and you follow the regulations and you follow your standards, what you have to do, and all your sit reps are good, um, you will progress. In the private sector, performance is a very large part of progression and um, merit increases and promotions. How does that change in your mind as you're going forward? Or what does a person have to change in their mind to perceive that? Well, there's, I mean, it's all, it's called pay for per performance. Performance, right. I mean, that's, it's really what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. And how you perform is based on, will dictate uh, what type of incentives you may get. So um, I'm sure your, your folks have ter- heard of the bell curve. Yep. So the bell curve, most 67% are do their job, perform. They meet requirements, and then there's the lower half of it, and then there's the upper half of it. Um, another example out there is the old GE model under Jack Welch, where 70% of the um, executives were getting rated a certain way. Another 20% were kind of in the middle, and the 10% were basically going to get their pink slip. So. Mm-hmm. You need to understand how how you're going to be rated in your organization, and that's a conversation you got to have with the hiring manager. How does it work? So right. you can get a, a clear understanding of that. And even once you get in your new role, whatever that is, ask your manager, what does success look like for you? So you can now gauge what it is you've got to shoot for and then you know, kind of go through your thought process. How can I exceed that? And then that, if you happen to be getting a bonus or any other kind of incentives, 
that will have a direct impact on what type of bonus you get. Well, you're exactly right. And those are the things. That, and thank you. That was a very nice, complete answer, because I think that you do have to understand how you're rated in the military. You do. And in the civilian world, it's possible, too. But you do have to ask and you do have to understand what the phrases mean that might not be as familiar as some of the ones that you were used to. I'd also like to ask you the second question was, do you think, this is an opinion question, that having all these choices after not having as many in the military um, on a day-to-day basis, we're not talking combat now or missions, that kind of thing, but in the day-to-day civilian at home, uh, do you find that having more choices makes it more challenging for that person transitioning into the civilian role, or is it Is it too loose for them, or is it really not a big deal to um, make those choices as they go forward in a new position? Personally, I would take two things. I never take a job because of the money. Okay. I think it's one of the biggest mistakes someone can make because uh, I've done it once, and I was absolutely miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing is, is I don't. I don't really get all hung up on the bonus uh, stock option and all that other kind of stuff. I, I've kind of taken the, the mental uh, position that bonuses and stock options, it's all found money. Mm-hmm. So if, if I get it, great. If I don't, no big deal. I can tell you that I know a lot of people that base their livelihood around that bonus and stock options that they're going to get every year. And when they don't get it, I mean, it ruins their year. All of a sudden, the family can't go on vacation. Well, Or I can't get the new car or whatever. Well, a bonus is not a guarantee. No, it is, it is it not. It is not only what you do, but it's also how the company itself does, which you don't yes. have a lot of control over. So that's a very good point. Base your your decisions financially on what is real and what you can earn. And as you said, the rest is found money and optional. That's, that's very, very good advice. So as you look back on the transitioning, what would you say is the biggest challenge for those leaving the military and moving into the private sector, both the veteran or the service member and the family? I lost about half of that. For some reason, my audio went out for a second. Not a problem. I can absolutely repeat it. (laughs) What do you find is in both? I'm going to ask you to answer this from the uh, service member transitioning and the family perspectives, both perspectives. What do you see as the biggest challenge for those leaving the military and moving into the private sector? First, the veteran and then the um, family. I think, well, the family, uh, the veteran, I, I think I brought it up at the beginning of the program. I mm-hmm. think really it's it's the cultural differences okay. that they're going to run into because there is a drastic difference in culture. Mm-hmm. The other is, is the communication style. Uh, the military is very direct and to the point. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you in the civilian world, when you get direct and to the point, people get very uncomfortable. <laughs> right. And uh, it's almost like you're attacking them, but you're not. You're just Mm -hmm. trying to get to the point. You're mission-oriented and focused. That's the way you are. It's the way you've been trained to do. The family, you know, the family's just got to understand you're going through a change. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why you got to get them on board early. And it's, uh, it's one of those things. It's, it's never going to be easy. Um, I just think the family, they probably will understand your your change and everything that you're going to have to go through more than you will. That's a very good point. And I I wonder, how do you, John Phillips, picture a positive transition? Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I let my hair grow. I got a goatee now. Um, I don't, I don't. Beyond the facial hair, John. (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of, uh, I don't let let a lot of things bother me anymore like they used to. I can tell you, I still stay aware of what's going on around the world and things like that, but not as much as I used to. I used to stay glued to the news because I knew wherever, there was a saying, wherever Christian Amanpour went on CNN, we were going. That's true. So uh, things have changed, but um, I think, you know, the, the more that I'm in the civilian sector, the more that uh, I'm becoming a civilian. But like I said in, uh, earlier in the segment, I have my hot buttons, and when they're pushed, the kernel comes out very quickly. Right. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, keep that stuff under control and then uh, – and, just understand that you're no longer in uniform and, you know, it's a process. It just doesn't happen overnight. Absolutely. John, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, For all our listeners, the book that John wrote that is so effective is Boots to Loafers, Finding Your New True North. You can also find information on his bootstoloafers.com website. And we just wish you the best in, I liked your, um, your fun pursuits. So enjoy those and welcome back anytime. We'd love to have you come again. Thank you, John. You're listening to Military Network Radio. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your.